under the sun. Welcome to episode three of Tech Under the Sun. This is your host, K.O. I want to thank you for uh, tuning in to episode three. And I'm actually going to switch it up a little bit here. First off, I want to thank you for everybody listening out there. We greatly appreciate you. Um, I always encourage uh, discussion. I, I'd love to hear both sides of the story. So if uh, if you have any comments or if you'd like to, um, you know, maybe counter me on some of these uh, uh, articles or, or posts that you're going to hear today, by all means, I encourage it. I always, always encourage, you know, listeners to be objective, objective about everything they hear. So with that being said, uh, I'm going to just go ahead and touch on some articles that were published last year on the blog. Um, I believe... Uh, both of these articles made it to the front page of the Orlando Sentinel online. I'm very grateful to those folks uh, for giving a voice to the community. Um, and I just, one thing that I, I, I am going to do is you're going to hear an article and it's with regards to tech roots uh, in, in Orlando. And I'm actually going to write a part two to that that encompasses not only Orlando, but Kissimmee and, and just some of the technology that they were using back in, in the 1800s. Like, I'll give you an example. Although email, right, is uh, something that's been... You know that that that's came around the last couple decades. In reality, when you kind of think about it, um, oh, you know, email was kind of around back in the 1800s, not in its present form, but the ability to send messages electronically existed back in the 1800s with the use of the telegraph and uh, other com other countries around the world were, were already using similar technologies. You know back into the 1700s even the um, native americans were using smoke signals although that wasn't um i, I guess you could say technology base in essence when you kind of think about it being able to send messages across long distances it's not something that that was uh, uh developed in the in the 70s in the 80s or in the 90s it's something that's been around for a long time the way that we adapt it now obviously has changed right but um yeah so so definitely when you think about email it's it's not a new thing right uh it is when you when you think about the un underlying technological core behind it but as far as just the premise the concept of being able to send messages within a a, a small amount of time over vast distances that's not something new that's been around for a while so i just wanted to go ahead and throw that in and thank you let's get right into it and again Episode 3, Tech Under the Sun. Oh, and by the way, uh, we will be launching on iTunes pretty shortly. And that right there, to me, is going to be awesome. So I expect uh, the, I guess you could say the audience to increase. And other than that, um, yeah, man, let's get right into it. Later. You are listening to Tech Under the Sun. Silicon Valley of the Southeast, Orlando's technology roots and the history behind the name, published March 2014 on HypeOrlando.com, written by Kadesh Ortiz. Is Orlando slowly morphing into the Silicon Valley of the Southeast, 
That's the question to many in the city of over 2 million people in the greater area and counting. Over the last several years, some say that this effort to turn Orlando into a major tech hub has been accelerated. From local software companies taking advantage of the major Android and iPhone app development rush to old giants like Disney and Universal. What many people are thinking is that Orlando was always kind of like a tech hub going back several decades, or at least the Central Florida area. There are many different stories on how the city of Orlando got its name. One of the main ones many historians cite is the one of a man named Orlando Reeves that died at the hands of native Indians and was later buried near Lake Eola. Lake Eola is located in downtown Orlando, present day. Let's go back. Around 1838, Fort Gatlin was built south of the city to protect settlers from the Indian tribes. Outside the walls of this fort resided a big family named the Jernigans. This area grew into a settlement and the area was sometimes called Jernigan. So the area we now know as Orlando, at one point or another, to travelers, was known as the Jernigans. Now the Jernigans were said to have even run a post office and years years later the city of Orlando was then incorporated. The name has stayed the same ever since. Now Interstate 4, many people refer to it as I-4, was created and first opened in the Plant City area around 1959. By 1962, Tampa and Orlando were connected and the rest is history. Disney World opened in October of 1971, and everyone was hyped. Some would say that the opening of Epcot Center in 1982 would be one of Orlando's defining moments in showcasing future tech. The East-West Expressway was completed by 1973, and years later, not even the East-West was ready for the jam, the traffic jam. The next two decades, many people would say that the traffic in I-4 and the East-West was so bad that a new term was coined called highway hostages. This was a term given to people, given by the people who would be stuck in traffic on the highways for a very uncomfortable amount of time every day. Over the years, I feel the city has been putting in overtime to unclog the streets and open up the pathways for the impending population boom, some people say, is still happening. Now we get into the 90s. Universal Studios opened up around 1990 and the theme park wars were on. Even now, it's incredible to think at how many theme parks are in the area. It has turned into a great place to be if you know how to get around. Yeah, we can all agree that in 2015, do not expect the hoverboards that were promised in Back to the Future Part 2. However, being in attendance at some of these local tech shows has left me impressed. The local tech software community in the area is pretty impressive. Almost every other week, I read about another major acquisition of a local company by several high-profile giants. This is proof that the major league software giants are always openly recruiting and searching for new talent in the area.
the talent in the area, many people would say, has been impacted positively by UCF, Full Sail Academy, and other groups. Why are major companies setting up shop here? Is it because the labor cost in the area is low? Or is it because of the talent hidden in the community? Maybe the best answer might be both. High quality tech talent at low labor costs. That is enough to put a smile on almost any CFO or CEO's mouth. Electronic Arts Tiburon's division for many years has been releasing hit games for PC and home consoles developed in, the, in their Maitland offices. Now, no matter where you drive, in certain areas in Orlando, and especially in the iDrive or uh, the International Drive area, you can see how many business owners have been utilizing technology to attract customers. From eye candy filled LCD displays to small jumbotron looking billboards on I-4, you can see how Orlando has found a way to mend technology into its landscape and to do it gracefully. We should all expect more construction and more entertainment venues popping up soon, like the Eye of Orlando or other rumored new kids on the theme park block. Expect new stuff. Can Orlando be the Silicon Valley of the Southeast? I think it might be headed in that direction. Why is Orlando called the city beautiful? Well, if you look hard enough, you can find the answer pretty easily. Written by Kadesh Ortiz. Thank you. Humans need not apply. Could your job be replaced by a robot soon? Written by Kadesh Ortiz, published on HypeOrlando.com, August 2014. You are listening to Tech Under the Sun. Five jobs that may be replaced by a robot one day. Could your job be replaced by a robot or a computer? In my opinion, it's not a matter of could this happen, but more or less a matter of when. In the last few decades, we have seen the rise of technology take over everything from telephones to automobiles. We now have cars that can drive themselves. We have now online schools that can replace the need of a teacher with a computer. Even pilots and manual aircraft in our armed forces are being replaced with pilotless drones. Should we be worried right now at the present moment? I say no. Because we are still a few decades away from full autonomy and real robots in different industries. No matter how good it gets, I still think people still value a good old human touch. Now, I saw the latest Robocop movie the other day and actually was impressed by the movie. The special effects and the fact that the director kept the film centered around Detroit made it true to the original. The film brought up a few good points. Could law enforcement and security companies or even soldiers in the next decade or two be replaced by full-blown robots or autonomous drones enforcing the law? Would we really want this? Most people would say no. And for the most part, I would have to agree with this opinion. Why? Well, let me give you an example. The movie Robocop answers this question for you. It all boils down to judgment, human judgment. No matter how lifelike you make artificial intelligence, you just cannot replicate 
all of the intricacies of the human brain at the present moment. So at the end of the day, most people will, will not have to worry, at least not now. However, there are a few industries and professions that might be the first on the chopping block to go. Now here are five jobs that might be replaced in the near future by robots. Number one, taxi drivers. Driverless cars are here and not a thing out of sci-fi flicks. Cars that can park themselves and even drive long stretches without any human intervention are here. It will not be long before you summon a taxi that picks you up minus a driver. Okay? Number two, pilots. The last few years we have seen the rise of drones uh, used in everything from law enforcement and the military to the paparazzi to even as of lately Amazon is is testing this out number three nurses and doctors although I'm not sure yet if I would trust a robot doing my open-heart surgery yet right now more and more hospitals are relying on technology for certain applications and I would not be surprised if in 50 years doctors for the most part become obsolete with the exception of a few specialists and, and whatnot number four cashiers more and more stores are adding cashier less register lanes at the supermarket eventually checking out at the local grocery store or clothing store will be done without the presence of an actual human big box retailers like Walmart had already begun using this technology years ago number five teachers robotic teachers are already being used in certain schools around the world and their use is expanding i predict robotic teachers being used widely around the world in several years and the fact that they do not require sleep or food might make them cost effective however this is kind of creepy and should be interesting to see how this pans out Here's some final thoughts. Just because you can does not mean you should. I still stick by my opinion that at the end of the day, people will always value people. Just because a robot can make your favorite 12-inch Italian sub does not mean that at the end of the day, you still would not want that human touch, that human interaction. People-to-people -people interaction is the reason why at grocery stores that utilize computerized cashiers, people always still crowd the lines being manned by a person. Thank you. And please feel free to leave comments. I would love this to, uh, I'd love to make this an engaging conversation. And I would like to hear some of the comments from some of the listeners. And I would love to hear some of you. Thank you. All right, all right. Um, well, yeah, man. Uh, thanks for listening to my podcast and. You don't gotta go home, but you gotta get off my podcast and listen to other people's podcasts. Yeah, I, I encourage that. So, yeah, later. See you next week on Tech Under the Sun. <laughs>